And good morning, everybody. And everybody else. Vesely has been to a school assembly. She knows how to respond. It's great to be with you. I grew up in a city called Bristol in the southwest of England. And one of the most striking landmarks in Bristol is the Clifton Suspension Bridge. Some of you will have visited Bristol. Some of you may have walked over or driven over or cycled over the Clifton Suspension Bridge. And if you've ever received a picture postcard from a friend or a relative visiting Bristol, you have probably at least seen a picture of the Clifton Suspension Bridge. For about 200 years, the, um, the merchants and the traders and the sort of town planners of their day spent a considerable amount of time trying to consider how best to span the River Avon to join the city of Bristol to uh, Gloucestershire, as it was at that point. And they considered doing a stone bridge uh, down in the valley uh, so that people could um, pass over the River Avon. They considered lots of different options. But the big trouble they had was that Avonmouth was an important port for international trade. Trading in cloth, in sugar, in wool, tragically, evilly, in slaves. But it was an important port that brought ships down the Avon through a narrow uh, gorge called the Avon Gorge into the port and the harbour of Bristol. And these tall sailing ships had tall masts and sails, and so a stone bridge down in the valley over uh, the River Avon was not a sensible solution. So after scratching their heads and considering various options for a hundred years or so, they decided to execute and implement a design by the famous Bristolian engineer Isambard Kingdom Brunel. And this was a design for the Clifton Suspension Bridge, one of the, one of the first and uh, longest lasting suspension bridges in the world. It was actually completed after uh, Brunel's lifetime and the final design was two other engineers. Uh, so there's some debate and scrutiny as to whether or not it really should be called Brunel's suspension bridge. But certainly he had the original plan and concept. Uh, why am I telling you all of this? Well, it was a feature of my early childhood to walk over the bridge to look down on the valley below. It enabled you to get from Clifton Downs over to Lee Woods. It was a bridge which spanned an otherwise insurpassable chasm. No other way to get from one side to the other. And that, of course, is what bridges do. Bridges surpass uh, chasms. They, they, they connect different places. They create passable routes whereby you can move from one place to another. Earlier this week, I looked up on YouTube the world's scariest bridges. That was exactly what I typed into YouTube. And if you want a little bit of fun and amusement later this afternoon, then do go and type world's scariest bridges and you'll, you'll get some extraordinary uh, videos. Uh, I did consider blessing you with those videos right now, but I don't want anybody to have vertigo and feel faint or sick, so I thought I'd best hold back. But the point is that all around the world, humans build bridges as a way of building connections, as a way of enabling journeys, as a way of enabling relationship and trade, as a way of getting from one place to another. And bridges require consideration, design, engineering, implementation, execution, maintenance. 
Some are very rudimentary, simple rope or vine bridges. Some have steel and concrete and uh, run for uh, miles. There's an extraordinary array of bridges in the world. But today, I want to talk about the bridge of prayer. We have been talking for a uh, while over the past three months about prayer in our Sunday morning services. We've been considering the nature of prayer, how we pray, why we pray, different aspects and features of prayer. We've thought about prayers of petition, prayers of intercession. We've thought about adding fasting to prayer. We've considered spiritual warfare. We've talked about praying in the spirit. We've learned from the Lord's prayer. We've spent time considering the nature and the work of prayer in our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. And today, it's my job to sort of bring that sermon series to a conclusion and a summary. And I want to do so by thinking about the bridge of prayer, what it is and how we step onto the bridge of prayer and pass over it. Bear in mind in all of this that a teaching of St. Paul in the New Testament is that we should pray continually. We pray without ceasing. We should be faithful in prayer. Prayer is at the very heart of Christian life and faith. William Temple, the Archbishop of Canterbury in the Second World War, said the aim of prayer is the same as the aim of all life. It is union with Christ. Prayer is about being united with Jesus. And it's our hope, it's my hope, that as we've put the subject of prayer under the spotlight, under the microscope over the past few weeks, you've been able to reflect on your own prayer life. I certainly have. I've been thinking a bit more about aspects of prayer which I haven't considered fully enough. And I hope that you have experienced some of the rewards of prayer in new ways. I know that some amongst you have been using prayer journals for the very first time. Some of you have begun to delve into the Lord's Prayer in new and richer ways. Some of you have discovered aspects of petition or intercession that you had not considered before. And obviously it's my hope and prayer that as a church collectively, our own prayer lives will be enriched and deepened so that we might dwell in Christ more fully, more wholly all the days of our lives. And so in thinking about this idea of the fundamental nature of prayer as being about a bridge, a bridge of prayer, I want to explore today a little how it can connect us to God and to his intended future. Many of you know that I'm deeply committed to the work of community organising, um, working with Citizens UK and Hackney Citizens on broad-based community organising, and at the very heart of community organising is uh, this idea of the world as it is the reality around us, and the world as it should be. What we envision, what we dream of, what we hope for, what we yearn for, what we desire. And we recognize that there is a gap between the world as it is and the world as it should be. We have reality, we have our expectations, and in that gap can open up all kinds of different things. It, that gap can lead to disappointment, it can lead to disillusionment, disenchantment, or it can lead to Lament and prayer and action and change. This concept in community organizing, the world as it is and the world as it should be, I find resonates deeply with what we see in the Bible, uh, couched in the language of um, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, 
that is coming and this present age. Sometimes theologians call it the now, where we are here, and the not yet, where one day we will be, where one day a, a reality will be established. And of course, we pray when we pray the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Every time we pray that prayer, we're expressing that eschatological vision. Eschatological is the fancy theological term for pertaining to the end, to the future, to the completion of all things. We're expressing that yearning, that desire that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, where God's will and reign is perfectly established, will also be established here in this present age. Do you see what we're doing when we pray that prayer? We are creating a connection, a bridge, if you like, between the future and the present, where we're headed and where we are. Heaven, the realm where God's rule is perfectly established. Earth, where we live now, yearning for that day when heaven and earth will be renewed, recreated and perfectly united in the wedding feast of the Lamb. A bridge has been established that bridges the void, that reaches over the chasm. If, if we know that there is a perfect future, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and we know that we live in the now, in this present age, where it's still not as things should be. The world is here as it is in reality, but not yet as it should be. The good news at the very heart of Christian faith is that God has built a bridge to connect heaven and earth. And he built that bridge in the incarnation of God in Christ. When God determined to take on human flesh to enter into the world as it is, where we are this present age, in the flesh in Jesus, that first Christmas 2,000 years ago, that was God as bridge builder, building a bridge to come and reach out to us. But you know, I think that in some senses, when God was incarnate in Christ, it was like a one-way bridge. But when Jesus died and rose again, the barrier of our sin was finally defeated. The barrier and partition of death was finally broken through. And it became a two-way bridge. And we are, as St. Paul puts it, reconciled to God in Christ. The bridge has become a two-way bridge. A bridge whereby God can come and meet with us and we can go and meet with God. <coughs> Prayer is a bridge between this world and the next, between our current reality and God's intended future, between the now and the not yet, the world as it is and the world as it should be. And this bridge handles two-way traffic, our venturing towards God in prayer and also receiving from him vision and comfort and joy. Earlier this week, I was praying that God would give me a word for this sermon, that he would give me a picture, a vision, some theme. And it was in prayer that I had this idea of a bridge between earth and heaven, between us and God and how prayer functions that way. So I googled the bridge of prayer. 
just shortly before I googled world's scariest bridges. I googled the bridge of prayer, and do you know what I found? I found a sermon preached in 1958 at Asbury Theological Seminary. Some of you will know that Asbury Theological Seminary in the US has been in the news this year where there's been a great uh, revival, a great renewal, a great stirring and awakening of young people wanting to spend time with God in prayer, in confession. And some 60 years ago, a member of the faculty at Asbury Theological Seminary preached in their chapel a sermon on James chapter 5 entitled The Bridge of Prayer. I did consider simply reading it verbatim for you, but I didn't do that. But I do want to read you a quote from it. This is what he says. He says, normally a bridge is made for two-way traffic. So in truth is prayer. In one direction, the movement of prayer is from our heart to God. It is a movement of confession, of petition, of intercession, of longing, of eagerness, and of faith. One fears that sometimes this is the only traffic lane that some people see or use on the bridge of prayer. Actually, of course, the other lane is from one point of view more important. There, the direction in which the traffic moves is from God's heart to ours. It is a movement of wooing, of guidance, of love revealed, of grace imparted and strength renewed. One is the active talking requesting side of prayer. The other is the responsive listening receiving side. Isn't that great? I'll share that quote somehow maybe in next week's Church Family News newsletter. Prayer creates a bridge whereby not only can we move and venture towards God, confession, petition, intercession, fasting, seeking out his purposes, but also one in which he comes to us, wooing us, guiding us, calling us, drawing us, strengthening us. I want to think just briefly about four aspects of this bridge of prayer, four features of the bridge of prayer that I think we see in the passage we've just read in James chapter 5. Uh, and then I want us to end by spending a bit of time seeking God in prayer and asking for him to come and to renew us. Firstly, pray whatever your circumstances, whatever the circumstances in your life. Verse 13, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. The trouble, of course, is that moment where we recognize that things are not as they should be. When we are experiencing trouble, we are experiencing the gap between the world as it is and the world as it should be. We're experiencing disappointment, grief, pain, heartache, the disruption of the nature of things caused by the void and the chasm. And so Paul says, if you're in trouble, if you're experiencing trouble, pray. Pray. Take a step onto that bridge that God has established. Pray. But don't just pray when you're in trouble. Pray when everything is going well. Pray when 
you want to give thanks for family, for home, for work, for community. Sing songs of praise. St. Augustine, the um, late 4th, early 5th century North African theologian, he said, when we sing, we pray twice. Isn't that good? When we sing, we pray twice. When we gather here Sunday by Sunday and we lift our voices in songs of worship, it's an act of prayer. It's an act of venturing onto that bridge and acknowledging who God is, praising him, declaring his praise, celebrating his goodness, and sometimes, yes, lamenting and calling upon him. When we sing, we pray twice. Is anyone happy? They should sing songs of praise. That's an expression of prayer. St. Paul continues. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have, been, if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. We'll come back to that final section in a moment. James is saying here, sorry, I might have said St. Paul a moment ago. Um, James is saying here that whatever your circumstances, you should pray. And your prayer might involve calling others to pray with you. If you're sick, if you're experiencing trouble, call the elders of the church, call the leaders, call the community to come and pray over you. It's interesting, I think. I think there's a word uh, to those who tend uh, to a more spiritual interpretation and reading of these passages and those who tend towards a more skeptical reading and interpretation of these passages. Uh, to those who prefer the more spiritual, James says... Pray, but also call the elders of the church. Seek help. Get help. When you're ill, when you're in trouble, yes, pray to God, but call for help as well. Turn to your community. Come and disclose your trouble and say, I need guidance, I need help. Are you sick? Pray and call a doctor. Yeah? But to the more skeptical, don't just call the doctor. Pray. Don't just see your therapist and speak to your community. Pray as well. The prayer offered in faith will make you well. It will raise you up. We're called as Christians to be those who hold those two things together. Expressing our longing and our desire to God, praying, and yes, also using practical wisdom to seek out support in the community. There's a discussion amongst commentators as to whether or not the oil that the elders use to anoint the one who is sick is meant to symbolize the Holy Spirit or whether it's actually being used for its healing properties because oils with various different, uh, that have been distilled with various different herbs did have medicinal properties and still do have medicinal properties. I mean, not for nothing do people use lavender oil to rub on themselves to help them relax and to help them sleep. But in a sense, it's a false dichotomy. It's not one or the other, it's both. The oil with which the elders anoint the sick is there to represent the ministry of the Holy Spirit and to bring about medical healing properties. So pray whatever your circumstances, whether you're full of joy whether you're struggling with sickness or trouble. Pray with 
confession. You know that I speak often in our church about the importance and the centrality of confession in the life of a Christian. I don't do that because I'm terribly gloomy and down on everybody. Uh, And I think that everyone's fundamentally an awful person who just needs to sort of say sorry a lot more than they do. That's not, I'm I'm not talking about confession with a sort of headmasterish tone. I'm not going to give anybody lines to write to sort things out. I have found joy in confession because confession is a work of repentance and repentance is a, a, a turning back to the living God. Repentance is a change of disposition and inclination. Instead of pursuing my own desires and going my own way, repentance is the moment where I turn back and say, not my will, but yours be done, just as Jesus did in Gethsemane. Martin Luther, the architect of the Reformation, as you will have heard me say before, wrote in the first of those 95 theses nailed to the door of Wittenberg Cathedral on the 31st of October, 1517, that the God... Of our, the, the God uh, of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, willed that the whole life of a Christian be one of continual repentance. One of continual repentance. Why? Because in repentance we say, not my will, but your will be done. In repentance we say, I've pursued too much the devices and desires of my own heart, and now I'm turning back to you, the living God. It's interesting in this passage in James that the assurance of forgiveness comes first. If they've sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray with each other so you might be healed. Isn't that interesting? If you've sinned, you will be forgiven. Therefore, confess. Not confess and then you'll be forgiven, but because you've been forgiven, because God, by his grace, has given you the glorious riches and mercy of Christ. So, turn back to him. So, because you've been forgiven, come and confess. And it says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. What does this look like practically? It's been my practice for uh, probably about 17 or 18 years now to have a spiritual director who serves as my confessor so that I have somebody to whom I can confess my sins. I mean, I think I try to keep a short account uh, by calling to mind my sin and uh, my failures, my sins both of commission and omission, as the language sometimes put it, things that I did which I know I shouldn't have done and things that I didn't do that I should have done. I try to call that to mind week by week as I gather here with you and as we pray together our prayer of confession. But also every three or four months I go to see my spiritual director who serves as my confessor. And in that uh, trusted relationship I'm able to name out loud specific things uh, before him and confess my sins and then receive that assurance of forgiveness, of absolution. If you want to find out a bit more about how you might do that, find a spiritual director, come and speak to me or one, one of the other members of the team. But it's also been my practice to belong to a prayer triplet or to have a prayer partner over many years. I think I first had a prayer partner about, goodness, 30 years ago. And most of my Christian life, I've tried to always have a prayer partner or a prayer triplet with whom I meet regularly. A a trusted confidant who I can say, this is what I'm struggling with. This is what I'm getting wrong. Confess your sins to each other so that you may be healed. It's really hard to do 
in our current age. Not least because socially, in, in the wider world at the moment, the idea of owning up to your mistakes, your errors, seems perilous, right? Because you might get cancelled. It's very hard because we live, in a, we live in quite a harsh society at the moment. It's very hard to receive or express forgiveness or grace. I went to the National Parliamentary Prayer Breakfast a couple of weeks ago and uh, the keynote speaker uh, in the Palace of Westminster uh, was speaking about the power of forgiveness in public life and really recognizing how hard it is for people to give and receive forgiveness in public life in our age, but how transformative it might be. So a prayer triplet, a prayer partner, a spiritual director, confess. Confession is also an act of humility. It's a way of saying, I don't know best and I get things wrong and I need your guidance, God. I need your strength, God. 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Oh my goodness, that sounds a a lot like repentance and confession, doesn't it? Humble yourself, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. My goodness, that's all those elements of turning from pursuing the devices and desires of our own hearts wandering like lost sheep and turning back to the light, to the source of life and love. 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, if my people do this, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin and heal their land. If we want to see our neighbourhoods transformed, renewed, if you want to see your your community, your neighbours, your workplaces, your friendships, your families healed, transformed, renewed, then humbling ourselves, confessing our sin, turning from wickedness, seeking God's face is surely the first work. Confession as an act of humility is an act of self-examination. It's also about getting a, a, a truer picture of ourselves, of our lives. But time is short, so I'm going to move on. So pray whatever the circumstances. Pray with confession Third, pray with community. A few years ago, um, Sarah and I and the kids went on a trip with my stepmom and dad down in the West Country to a place called Wookie Hole. Wookie Hole, if you have not heard of it, is a series of caves and caverns and gorges underground, uh, sort of buried amongst Cheddar Gorge. And, uh, but, they're, but they're navigable, and you can explore them, and there's a pathway through them. They're not great if you're a bit claustrophobic. And they're not great if you, if you have a fear of sort of bridges or drops. And actually, my stepmom has both, uh, particularly bridges and drops. She does not like heights. And as you follow the path through Wookie Hole, there are these little sort of steel bridges that go over these chasms and these voids and these sort of gaps in the cliffs. And when we went on a visit a few years ago, she could not take a step onto the bridge. She was petrified, paralyzed with fear. What were we to do? Turn back? Go back to the beginning? Or press forwards? She, she was conflicted. There we are with our children, I don't know, nine, seven, and five at the time, and she's just white as a sheet and 
paralyzed with fear, not wanting to be a party pooper and spoil the trip by having to turn around and go back, but unable to go forwards. What did we do? My dad and I took it in turns to take her hand and hold her hand and walk with her across the bridge. Because we need to do prayer in community. We need to take one another by the hand as we walk onto that bridge of prayer. Nobody ever asked us to do it by ourselves. Jesus formed a new society, a new family, a new community. By baptism, we're made brothers and sisters. We're made family. We're invited to follow the way of Christ together, not alone. So why do we sometimes think that prayer is something that we have to do alone as a solo pursuit? It's just not the case. Sometimes our faith on the journey in the way of Christ feels faltering. And prayer is something that we can do together to give us strength and courage. Verse 14, we've already talked about, is anyone sick? They should call the elders of the church and they will pray over them. If you're in trouble, reach out for help. Come and speak to one of the clergy or the ministry team. Come and speak to a connect group leader. Call your prayer partner. I'm struggling. I need you to pray for me. I need you to pray over me or with me. There'll even be times where you don't have words to pray yourself, but others will pray those words on your behalf, with you. That's one of the reasons in our church services, sometimes we gather people at the front to receive prayer. Because it's okay to have people pray over you when you've got no words for yourself. And you've got a need, a trouble, a a cause of anxiety, a suffering. You just want somebody to pray for you. And, And nobody's asking you to form the words in the sentences. We're willing to come and pray for you, with you, over you. But verse 16 also says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. So there is both a praying for, a praying over, and a praying with involved in praying in community. I'm going to talk a little bit more about this in September, but there uh, are times in, any, in the life of any community uh, when there are real crises and real challenges that we face, and we need to pray with one another. As a church, there are some quite significant challenges that we are facing, and in the autumn term, we're going to have to address a few challenges with our buildings, with our finances, with our staffing, and I don't have any solutions. I don't have a rabbit in the hat to pull out. And so I'm going to invite you to pray with me. And perhaps I haven't spoken to the team about this, but perhaps what we'll do is start committing some time to prayer and fasting and we'll invite the whole of our community to spend time in prayer and fasting in the autumn term. I think we just need to call upon God. I don't have the answers. I don't have the the strength or the solutions. But I do know that God is faithful when we come to him in prayer. So pray with community. Finally, pray with compassion. The two things I just want to highlight very briefly at the very end of this passage in James. Uh, Elijah saw the need for the earth to produce its crops and he prayed and the heavens gave rain. I don't know why he prayed earnestly that it would not rain first. That would have to be a whole other sermon. I'd have to go and dig around in the commentaries uh, longer than I'm able to now. But I do know that he prayed again 
that it would rain so that the earth would produce its crops. And the heavens were opened and it rained. So pray with compassion for the needs of the world around us. Is our society broken? Is it on the brink of collapse? Are people struggling under the stress and strain of uh, economic difficulties? With resources, with capacity? Are people facing an epidemic of uh, loneliness, of mental health crises, of challenges? Are young people uh, bereft of any spaces and places to go where they can find love and attention and care? Pray with compassion for the needs of the world around us. Pray earnestly with compassion. That's, again, something that we always try to do here when we mobilize uh, ourselves to pray. Uh, Midweek prayer on Wednesdays. This Wednesday just gone, a group of us walked the perimeter of the parish and prayed uh, for lots of different places in our neighborhood. But also when we gather on Sunday afternoons, the first Sunday of each month, and we pray for the world, for our nation, for our neighborhood, for the church, pray with compassion for the needs that we see. Every day you're going to open the news on your newspaper app on your phone uh, or a website or TikTok, which is where my kids get most of their news. And you're going to see needs and struggles and difficulties. Pray with compassion. And pray with compassion for the needs of the world and pray with compassion for the needs of the individual. Brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Pray with compassion for those people known to you who are going through struggles, who are in need. So this bridge of prayer is built before us and we are invited to step out onto that bridge of prayer, whatever the circumstances, and to walk along that bridge of prayer, praying with confession, with community, with one another, with compassion for those around us. The bridge of prayer has been built and established for us by God in Jesus Christ. But we're invited to step out in faith onto that bridge. And with this in mind, I want to show you a famous clip from one of the movies of my childhood uh, that brings this home a little bit more. And maybe this will just give us the emotional resonance as we think about how we're going to respond today. So let's watch this clip.
Would you like to stand? It captures it somehow, doesn't it? It captures the invitation that lies before you and before me today. The bridge is built by God in Jesus. Will you step onto it? Will you pray? Will you walk that bridge of prayer with confession, with community, whatever the circumstances, and with compassion for those around you? Father God, I ask that you would transform our church family gathered in this place to move us further onto and along that bridge of prayer. Father, I ask that you would make us a praying people by your Holy Spirit. Father, though for people like me who are always inclined to action and seeking to solve things in my own strength, Lord, I pray that you would make this this journey of prayer something which is rewarding and life-giving and full of joy. I pray for each person gathered here in this room, each person watching online, each person under my voice on the podcast or watching on YouTube at some later stage, that you would now pour out your spirit upon them and release in them a new passion and a new zeal for prayer. Father, by your Holy Spirit, if our prayer life feels stale or faltering, Father, give us the courage, just like Indy, to step out on that bridge of prayer. Come, Lord Jesus.